I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada Bing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this amazing and surreal journey with us. This is a conversation I had with Marisa Redanti, who played Christine Scatino on the show. Marisa spoke to me from New York, where she lives and shared some amazing stories. One of the best parts about putting this series together has been learning about all the interesting things these actors are involved in beyond the world of Sopranos. We get into the nitty-gritty details of her time on the show, but also her post-Sopranos career as an accidental politician and activist in the city. I've always felt like the Scatinos were their own Netflix spinoff series waiting to happen. Talking to Marisa made me wish for that even more. So here it is, my conversation with Marisa. That timing of this is actually perfect because we just were sitting down to record Bust Out tomorrow. Oh. I'm sorry, on Monday. So this is actually oh, cool. really interesting. And I think you might find this kind of universe aligning. Joe Penny is coming to the studio in about an hour and a half. He's going to be sitting Get down. Get out of me. town. Not joking. Oh my God. How did you find him? I mean, I guess he lives out there. That's right. He lives in L.A. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nice guy. He played my, we played brother and sister. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny oh how it happened. Oh, my God. Because I had. How did you find? It's so bizarre. If I told you how I found half these people, that's a whole separate story uh, for another time. Oh, my God. But it's been so oh, fun. wow. It's been so fun. I'm. Uh, He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, I was going to talk to you a few weeks ago, I remember, and then you had a scheduling thing. So the fact that I'm talking to both of you on the same day is amazing. It's really what? And it's the same episode. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, I'm very, very delighted that I was asked. <laughs> so let's tell listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of pre-Sopranos. Like, who are you? How did you eventually get your make your path to this show? And then we'll get into the show specifically. Okay. Uh, well, I um, am a, you know, I call it a perspiring actress at the time because I moved to New York City from graduating from Ithaca College. Uh, I'm originally from upstate New York, if you can hear the twang. Uh, uh, outside of Rochester, a little town called East Rochester, uh, came to New York and I did theater and I did plays and I did, mo- I was actually in Cotton Club. I'd done some TV shows. I think I'd done a bunch of Law and Orders already. Uh, I was actually up for the part of, um, of, uh, uh, his sister, um, oh my God, the one that Aida Turturro did. Janice. I was, I, Yes, Janice, thank you. Um, I was up for that part. I was called back a couple times for that. But I was, you know, the way the business works, they probably had already offered it out to Aida. She was fabulous, of course. Um, and that's the way those things go. So I didn't get that. And I said, oh, well, and it's this new show, of course, you know, and, and nobody really knew. Um, actually, no, this was the second season. So the first season had hit. and It was like, wow. It was well. It was a big wow. It was like no one thought that this was gonna. After the first episode, everyone went nuts over it. So everybody wanted to be on Sopranos, of course. Did you read for Janice in the first season? Uh, yeah, I read for Janice towards. Uh, she didn't come in until the end of the first season. Am I correct? Right, like later. Yeah, much later. Right. So it was in the middle. So already we already knew what the Sopranos was, but Janice was this new character. She didn't get introduced until towards the end, and she was described as. 
uh, uh, very much of a hippie. You know, it was an oddball thing. Like, how could this Italian girl be this thing? But whatever, you go with it. And so, therefore, the casting directors saw my work there. And I then got a call for, to do this other thing, and I came in, and they were, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Sure. So I go in and I read for one one scene, which is in the in the parking lot. Uh, no, I think we had, yeah, we had two scenes, and it was uh, just, you know, Eric, get in the house, get in the house, and they they take the car away. Remember? Right. They were to to pay off the debt, right? And I loved working with um, Patrick. He yeah. was fantastic. He and I were, we just, we, we did a whole storyline, like he looked so Irish, and how did we get together, and how did he load Tony, and it, we, you know, we were just being real actors together. He was a fantastic person to work with. Anyway, um, I said, oh, great, you know, this is, that's fine. And then they, they called me back, and we said, you're coming back. And I said, I'm coming back. I said, oh, it must be a party scene. You know, I never thought I'd have all these scenes with Carmela and with the brother, and it was, it was nuts. And also, it was very, very confidential. I actually, for this podcast, dug up, because I save everything, um, the actual script that I was given for, this one was Happy Wanderer. No, it's it was called Deus Ex Machina, which is actually now called Bust Out. But I have the original one sitting. Here. They didn't give you the whole script. They did like a Woody Allen thing where it was it's huge letters, confidential. You must not discuss anything with anybody, you know, or your life is in danger. So they give you just your scene, and then when you go to the table read, I believe you can look at the whole script, but you only leave with your line. That's how important the show was. Amazing. Um, Your enthusiasm is infectious, and I'm like trying to like pick you off and catch you on these questions. But I just I, I love hearing what you're saying. I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. So you played Christine Scatino on two episodes. You mentioned uh, first it was The Happy Wanderer, and then Bust right. Out. But how did right. this how did this happen? What was the first audition like? And did you audition for David Chase? I don't believe. I think I met David Chase. It's very interesting. I think I was just the director. David, if he saw the tapes, he saw the tapes. But it was the director Patterson okay. that I met the okay. second time. The first, again, the first audition was for Janice. The first time I auditioned for The Sopranos was for Janice. Okay, and it was a regular. You know, it, it's not a fancy thing. These auditions are like any other show. They're a very small room. Well, in those days, it wasn't like it is now. Where you just use a digital camera, they actually had a camera. Um, that's a little larger. Um, and you're usually with a reader and the casting director, and the reader is reading, the casting director is either taping it or watching you. Um, and then you get a call back from your agent the next day or something or the day after, and you come back again to meet, uh, to go to what's called producers. And if David was in the room, but I tell you, I doubt he was there. I think it was, it was the director. So he would have been there. And then obviously the tape would have been approved. If, if it was Janice, probably David Chase would have been there because that was going to be a major role. Sure. In my particular, and of course, then we didn't know what was going to happen with my role because because of the bust-out situation, yeah. uh, the mother, who I actually knew from another area of my life, uh, that's another story, um, who's fantastic, uh, uh, she, at the end of the season, that season, she took a plane to Arizona from the bust out money, the credit card. She was supposed to go to trial against her son, at which I would have had to testify too, because the business was in my name. Right. But she died. Nancy Marchand. Right, right. Yeah. That storyline went away. That's interesting. So they had to call an audible. Well, you know, they knew that she was ill. Uh, Nancy, uh, she was fabulous also. Um, yeah. 
she they knew she was ill, and so they always have these things in the back of their minds. But what I was told was they weren't they weren't going to write anything until something happened. Um, but so they were going along as if because they it was I think it was emphysema as I recall. Um, so they knew that she was you know she was having challenges. Uh, but it, but she was in pretty good shape. I mean, she didn't, didn't need anything special on set or anything like that, and they accommodated everything. Um, so that storyline had to go, hmm. you know, which is why Patrick ended up leaving. He, people thought he got rubbed out. He didn't get he didn't get whacked. He went away to a rest home or something to just escape. How dialed in was he for that role? He seemed to be very formidable. Like the, a lot of the discussion we have on the podcast is kind of his his vibe with Tony. You know, when they're having the encounters in the sporting goods store, mm-hmm. and Robert Patrick yep. Robert Patrick was like really into that character. Can you can you talk a little bit about oh, that and that dynamic? Totally. You started to, and then I cut you off. Yeah, no, you didn't cut me off. I I just will keep going. It's like a water faucet. Unless you shut it off, it's just going to keep running. Um. He was, like I said, here's a, a guy, right? Now, I'm trying to remember. The only thing I remember him in at the time was in Terminator, okay? Yeah. He, I, he, I think he turned into, you know, molten something. So I knew him from that. Now, I don't know from that until Sopranos what his, I'm trying to think of anything of note. Of course, he's gone on to do millions of fabulous roles. But you can tell now that you see him in other things, like True Blood and all the other stuff he did, that he's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. So on set, now we didn't have to do this, and a lot of people don't do this, but I'm like this. I read the whole script, of, even if I have a line, I read the whole script. When I moved to L.A., here's a story about acting. I was I had moved to L.A. for this years and years ago, way before your time, and I had a little scene on Hunter. I had a nice scene as a showgirl, or two, three scenes, something like that. And I had, I'm sitting in the makeup chair, and I say to this guy that's got a huge part, I said, isn't it a great story? And he goes, you read the whole script? I said, well, yeah. He says, nah, my girlfriend reads the script and I just read my part. Now, I was appalled because I was like, but what if something happens and they talk about your character? You know, I'm so like a New York actor. I was like into it for every, you know, any reference I could take. You're professional. That's the way, that's the way he was. So we're sitting around and saying, so how did we meet? What did we, and it was just, it just happened because we knew that we're professionals. We didn't have to have that background story. How did you know Tony? Well, I think um, our parents, my parents were, I was an army brat, and so we moved to your town, and that's why I went to school there, and he was the only, he, I was being bullied because I wasn't Italian, and he took care of me. All this stuff wasn't in the script. How did he and I meet? You know, all that, all that stuff. Uh, so he was definitely, that he was fantastic. You could tell. I mean, he was, you know, he, he was really in it, yes. And when he was doing the suicide scene. Oh, my gosh. Remember that when yeah. he was trying to get the gun? Right, right. Was that in the script or was that him improvising on the pool table or whatever? Oh, no, that that yeah, that was what he was thinking he had to do to get to get out of this. No, it was not improvised. He was that was not a thing was not, there wasn't a lot of improvisation in, in my scenes anyway. Okay. We stuck to the script almost word for word. Okay. Some some we could do a little bit of um uh, of um, making it your own, they call it. Yeah. But not a whole lot. Some TV shows, I mean, it's got a, I've literally been on shows where they will say, you're supposed to say it's a good thing, not it's a good, not it's the good thing or whatever. They'll say, like anything. They're that They'll specific. Yeah. Some are. Some yeah. are. Well, sure. You know, I've done Neil Simon, I've done John, uh, John Patrick Shanley on, on, on stage, and you do every syllable correctly. Right. 
Um, can you share any memories uh, with any of the other cast members or just yeah. behind the scenes on the set, stuff like that, yeah. stuff that listeners sure. will never ever get to see or hear, but it's sure. just that sort of like you getting to listen to it through your prism is always amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, uh, well, this is, no one would know this. The first one, which was uh, Happy Wanderer, we were shooting and it was like some kind of hurricane. So we ended up having to sit in our trailers and not do anything. And then I had to come back the next week or something like that. So that was, we had a lot of time on uh, just hanging around, not doing anything. I didn't have a trailer. I'm sorry. I think I, no, I had a, yeah, I had a honey wagon or I had a, uh, a room, uh, to set. Okay. The, the, there was a house that they shot the pool scenes at in New Jersey. They replicated the entire house, the inside perfectly to, be a silver cup so they could shoot the interiors. Right. So when I go in to show about the wallpaper, I'm only in the actual house when I come out the front door and get into the truck with my brother. Mm-hmm. When we go into the house, we cut and go to the, to the studio and shoot the, the whole scene there. So a lot of people don't realize that that's not, it is the house that they've done exactly what the house looks like, but to bring everybody out to the house to shoot in the house was too expensive. And I, I think someone was living there, as I recall, or that it was a house they rented out for the show. I do have a memory of um, Eiler, uh, what was his name, Robert, the, the AJ? AJ, yeah. Yeah, so we're in the we're in the they call it a courtesy van because we're 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 getting driven to the New Jersey site or to the um the, the studio and it's um um of me and 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 him and uh, Edie Falco and we're driving going to the set and he was very young then obviously he was a huge fan of Friends to the point where he knew the apartment number. He knew which pictures were on the wall. He knew the name of the sandwich that they would nickname after Thanksgiving. He was like this obsessed with friends. And he was a very sweet kid. I, I really, uh, I know that he had some problems later on when he got older, but he was, he was very, very, he wasn't, um, he didn't have attitude or anything like that. He was very, a really good kid. But it was amazing. He was just completely into the show Friends to the point of it being a hobby. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you? Oh, the lunch. Okay. We're, um, we're having the first read through of this script and there's usually a lunch catered there so that everybody can finish reading, eat some lunch and then go to makeup and hair and then start shooting that for that, whatever scene, whatever they're doing that day. Well, the lunch on Sopranos was like the best Italian food you've ever seen in your life. You know, with, you know, lasagna and supersad and mozzarella and salad. <laughs> and it was just like catered to the nines, like a wedding. The best Italian bread. I mean, you know, that's what you did. Amazing. And, uh, the, yeah, and then Sirico, no one could touch his hair. He did his <laughs> own hair. Wingtips? Polly Walnuts. Yep. He did his own hair. It was perfect. And no one was allowed to touch it. That I remember. Meaning like hair and makeup people. Right. They didn't have to. He did the hair. I don't know that he did much makeup because they didn't do a whole lot of makeup on the guys that much. But I remember him. I said, well, he goes, no, 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 nobody touches his hair. He does his own hair. That's interesting. <laughs> Some actresses. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and, there's, and it's also interesting that there's no makeup on the guys. Is that because of... 
Well, was it? They do if they need, like they'll do it for lighting or something like that, or if they're if they have a, uh, a, a you know some kind of abrasion on their face or something. But not a lot. If they're supposed to be sick in the scene, men don't. Uh, no, they don't. Especially with Italian, because the Italian women did a whole full makeup thing. You know? Yeah. Well, um, I would imagine it would have taken a lot longer for Carmela. I mean, Carmela had a lot of hair and makeup, and you know, you were her friend. Oh yeah. You guys were oh, you yeah. guys were just hanging out in the kitchen, and you guys looked like you were ready to go to town. But that's exactly what Italian, but, well, it's like being in New Jersey when you have a lot of money, you get up and you put on your makeup. Oh, and uh, uh, Edie Falco, those nails, of course, they were the plaster on, you know, because she didn't have long nails. Of course, yeah, yeah. And, and she thought that was very, very much part of her character. And I think she was doing, let's see, she did at one time, she was doing The Wire and she was doing a Broadway show at the same time. So she was working. She was a she was amazing to work with. She was just I, I she was always put together. But um, this character was about hair and makeup. Very and there was there was there was no ego on the set. Um, I did know Vinny Pastore, the big pussy, before The Sopranos, when he was an actor uh, and a friend of mine was doing a you know like a showcase with him and he, had, he he was kicking around as an actor for a long time. What I was getting at was like, was, was he aware of his fate at that point when you were involved in the show? Like, was there, was there any talk about what was going to happen in the finale or was it completely under wraps? No, no, no. I don't think they, uh, if they did have that far in advance, I don't think they did. Okay. I, well, I don't think any of the characters knew that. And remember how many seasons did it go? Seven? Uh, it went six A, six B. So technically seven okay. seasons. Yeah. So you don't necessarily know when you start a when you start a show that early that so and so is like just like Breaking Bad. How is it going to end? Do they know? I don't know that they know. Yeah. You know these these this I re- also remember that Sopranos was it was like doing a movie every week. So it was first of all there's no commercials right. So in those days, um, if you had an hour series, you had a lot of commercials. So you weren't shooting the the whole. Uh, 60 minutes where this was what is it 45 minutes or close to 45 50 minutes full of film so it's like a movie almost you know Mm -hmm. so it took a long time to write this stuff you know and i don't know no they did not know they were who was going to get whacked and who wasn't going to get whacked i don't even know that the writers would know but that's that's a question for a writer but i don't believe so I've been on a lot of TV shows here and there, you know, uh, after Sopranos and whatever, and I don't think anybody, and there, and there are many of them are very, you know, um, you know, please don't reveal, don't put on, we didn't have Facebook then, or it was not as much during, during uh, the shooting. Yeah. But, um, oh, I do have a memory. I got it. Here's, here's one. I worked on Cotton Club, right? I was playing Joan Crawford, which was cut. A lot of the stars that were in it were cut, but I was on for four, three months or something. And there was this production assistant named, um, Oh my God. Oh my God. What's his name now? Uh, anyway, this production assistant. I go on Sopranos. He's one of the producers now. Isn't that funny? Wow. He was a, he was a production assistant on Sopranos. I'm like, wait, I know you. I know you. And I'm like, oh my God, we did Cotton Club together. And he's one of the producers now. That's a Hollywood story. Well, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you start off, and if you've really got it going, I hear they're doing a movie now, but they're doing a prequel. Yeah, yeah, that's big part of everything that we're doing here is we're anticipating the prequel. It's going to be centered around uh, Dicky Moltisanti, who is Christopher's dad. We don't know him or see him in the show, but he's mentioned very frequently. Oh. Tony Tony reveres him. And, right. um, 
and um, and he's there's a real, there's a Carmela tie-in, so we're gonna get like a young Tony, and a young uh, Christopher might even be a little boy, who knows? But um, it's uh, Dicky Moltisanti has been cast, and it's an actor named um, I want to say Alessandro Nivola. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, huh? Yeah. So it's real. How'd you find that out? Well, that's wow. it's it's news. Deadline.com. It's where where you get all your latest and greatest on. Uh, I know Deadline. Yeah. Sure, of course. I I haven't. I've been doing other things. Of course. <laughs> now that I'm back in New York, it's just you know it's just crazy. It's- You've been on lots of other big shows. L.A. Law, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, Law and Order, SVU, Criminal Intent, Thirty Rock, Sex in the City. Can you convey to listeners any differences, specialness, or? Um, what am I trying to say? Uh, like je ne sais quoi about the Sopranos behind the scenes versus those other shows. Yes. Now some of the, some of the other shows we're talking about, like law and order, they were run like a, like a, like a, a well oiled machine. It was professional. It was calm. It, we, you didn't have to worry about, um, that it was a first season thing. Okay. Some other of them, not going to mention which ones, but some that were sort of a newer show, there was tension. You could tell there was tension because the show had to do well. So the stars were nervous. The cat, the, the crew was nervous and you could feel that when you're walking on the set and when you're waiting for your time and you don't want to screw up, you don't want to be the one where they have to do an extra take. Okay. You don't want to, most of my parts were kind of medium or small, you know, they weren't huge parts. But Sopranos, because everybody did not have an ego and because it was really about the work, it was almost like doing a play, in my mind. Um, because the quality was so good without being elitist. Can, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it was, so, it was gritty, but it was so human. It was so human. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, was, it really was. I mean, every time I'd watch it, and when I saw the Brock, oh my God. God, she was amazing, and you never would cast her in that part. She was supposed to be Carmela, right? Right. Yeah. And she wanted to be the shrink, and, yeah. and it was and it was brilliant because most shrinks in those days that you'd see on TV were men. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. You said the word play, and that's exactly how I like in the show. I mean, just the framing and the way the the movement. Everybody's dancing. Nobody's dancing, but everybody's really actually truly dancing, and the camera's dancing along with them. Um, there's this great there's this great activity happening in every scene, even when very little is actually taking place. You know. Well, that's the direction and the writing because uh, because they really were put in the and a lot of them weren't like long time seasoned actors. Some of them were sort of they were actors a bit, but they also did other things. And, and I think, I think that James was, was trained on stage. I believe he was a stage actor also very heavily, uh, into, into his craft. And of course, of course, Edie was, you know, um, so it was, it was easy because nobody was afraid to let you just be yourself. And if you had to take extra time with a line because you were ruminating what was going on, it was okay. And also the Italian, the Italian um, sensibility is different. What than, do you mean? Than a lot of well, the Italian sensibility is very, very um, well. Yeah, it's emotional, but it's like true emotion, and you don't filter it necessarily. You know, and you have to be able to let that go and be big without acting. It's hmm. got to really be there. You know, if you're acting it, if you're if you're playing at it, then you're not really. If you're thinking about how it looks. You can't be in the in the moment, you know. Yeah, that's so, interesting. 
your scenes with Edie in the kitchen um, when you introduce her to uh, Vic Musto, I'm just trying to get it. I always try to get a sense of like, how many takes did you guys like? Were you, were you guys one take like like in and out like boom, or did you have to do several no. scenes to get it right? Well, what happens is when you when you when whenever you look at a piece of film, you'll see the the one shot where as long as you're not seeing the other person's point of view, the camera is in one space okay so you'll see two people talking looking at each other then all of a sudden if you pay attention you'll then see one of them look at the other and you won't see the other person because you're seeing that face you'll see Edie's face because she's talking to me that means the whole room had to be uh, it's called repo repositioned so the lights the thing so that's why there's lots of takes because you're getting each person's point of view okay I tend I tend to try to be what I call a two-take Tilly I don't want to do more than two takes, so I try to get it right. The kitchen scene was more difficult for me than the other scenes. Like the scene in the car with my brother was fun and right. easy because yeah. I was so I was so like nasty, um, and I love playing nasty. Um, the scene in the kitchen with Edie was a little more difficult for me because I had to be embarrassed, mm-hmm. and embarrassment is a difficult thing to portray for me anyway. Um, I had to be ashamed and embarrassed about my situation. And, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a subtle emotion that I wasn't really, I didn't really l- light into it easily. Okay. So that took more takes than usual. But again, when you look at a piece of film, first you'll see the two people looking at each other. Then you'll see one over the shoulder to the other. And that's, that means everything had to change. So you can have a one minute piece of film that took, I don't know, six, seven hours to do mm. because you have to relight it. You have to take all the camera stuff, put it on the other side, put everything back, you know, as if the whole room is being done, you know? Mm. Um, that's why in the, yeah, in the movie, the player, they start talking about a one shot, yeah. which where nothing. Okay. And that is the longest one shot you've ever seen. Right? It's in the player. That's why those are so hard in the player. Yeah. Okay. The opening scene is a one shot and it goes forever. I'm going to check it so out. They never broke. Yeah, check it out. Oh, it's fabulous. Uh, yeah. True Detective season one had a one shot with Matthew McConaughey where they bust into a house, yeah. and that was—I mean, you could feel—you could feel that how one shotty it was. Um, and I and yeah. I was wondering then. I wonder if this is the longest, but I'm going to check out the player. That's fascinating. Thanks. The player, and then actually the movie, The Rope from Alfred Hitchcock is supposed to be the entire thing. It's supposed to be a one shot. Huh. I think there's one time where they you it goes to black because they actually had to change the film. Interesting. That's that's yeah, cool. that's that so up. amazing. Yeah. Here is the rope. Yep, and it's really it's a really weird kind of uh, it's a murder thing, of course, but it's just very strange, and it is all one shot. So that's it's Hitchcock. So yeah. What's your favorite episode of The Sopranos? Do you think? Oh man, you know, I, if I had to name one, it would be White Caps. I think just because it was a. I think that's the season four finale. Everything between Tony and Carmela comes to a head. And, oh, um, and, and their, that fight. the fight with about Furio when she finally tells him and she, she's building up all this courage. Um, that was the most amazing scene I've ever seen in my life. That fight scene between them. Thank you for saying that. Cause I, I honestly, it, it is, is the, the truth. I'm getting chills just talking to you about it right now. And I haven't even looked at it in, in several months, but the, the back and mm. forth and the build up to it, it was amazing. the build up to it too. Amazing. It's not just the fight, but it's when she finds out again and, uh, Irina calls the house and Tony's actually yeah, on the yeah. mend, right? He, 
buys the house. He's trying to buy a house down the shore so they can go and like kind of like yeah. have a legacy beyond this. He's buying this house for the kids. And then the whole thing, oh. like there's family unity. And then in an instant, the whole family dynamic is completely annihilated. Completely annihilated. And it was an amazing, that fight scene was fucking awesome. Oh, I said that. Out no, it's okay. This is a Sopranos podcast. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, it, it... What's your favorite episode? Let me recap. I, I don't was, like how it ended. Did you like how it ended? Well, let me go back a step. Have you okay. watched the show in its entirety? I was obsessed with the show okay. when it was on the air, but I haven't gone back and watched it again. So you have seen it, though. No, at least in, you have seen it all end-to-end end oh, at one point. yes. Okay. Because a lot of actors that I've talked to on the show have not, and it's interesting. Um, uh, a lot kidding. of Yeah, just some people had considered it work, or they can, you know, it was a very different... Everybody's experience is different, but yeah, there's some people that just don't like to either look at themselves or be a part part of it and oh. and um and i i can't imagine why I can't, it must be so difficult but um oh, oh, oh no 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 if i was on the show a lot i don't know that i would watch it all the time i understand that okay i don't watch there you go. any I, I like in other words when bull i don't even know if bull aired yet and then people get mad at me because they say why didn't you tell me and i say i just i just have to move to the next thing but I, when I was on Rosie O'Neill, I was recurring, and I watched that when it was. I would tape it and watch it. Yeah. So, what was your favorite episode? Uh, I think that one, and uh, the one, one because that fight scene was so amazing. Um, I liked that one, and I liked the one where I liked uh, uh, Christopher and his girlfriend, and I liked the one where he went to acting class. That's a great one. Uh, yeah. I thought that was he was really like he's amazing too. You know, he's amazing. Really. Yeah, he's amazing. What's the show's legacy in your mind? You know, there was a lot of controversy with Italian-American people uh, that I never understood. Um, I didn't get that from the show. I didn't think it was disrespectful. I didn't think it was glamorizing the mob. I thought it was a part of our heritage that is true. I mean, everyone in my family, I don't know any... I mean, I do know of maybe a mobster, but I'm not even sure. Uh, th- that would be, you know, shirt tail involvement. Um, but I don't think every Italian has a mobster in their family. Okay, um, I think the legacy of the of the show is really. It was. I think it was one of the first shows where it was so much about the work, like The Wire. It was so much about the work. You know, uh, like uh, like uh, 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 the one about New Orleans. Um, uh, Tremé. Yeah, Treme. Um, shows like that. And I think that that's, it's, it's one of those iconic shows where you just, you want to be part of it. You want to, you want to, and I'm very lucky that I've been in a lot of shows that were really iconic like that. Yeah. Like Breaking Bad. Like Breaking Bad, okay? I think The Sopranos was the precursor to shows that really were about the work and pushed it a little bit. Because it was violent. Well said. Um, so thank you for sharing these stories. What are you doing these days? And kind of like what happened after The Sopranos and, and what got you to the point where you're at right now? Well, after The Sopranos, I, um, I'm trying to think if I moved to L.A. after that or before it. I can't even see. Um, I did some plays. I, did, um, I still did TV here and there. I did a couple of movies. But it ended up my, my parents uh, started getting older, and I, I became the tenant president for Manhattan Plaza, which is a big complex of actors and whatever. And uh, I, was, I think I was tenant president during The Sopranos as well. Uh, but I 
took took it very seriously. The building had gotten sold, so I had a lot of negotiations to do. So I also got involved in politics. I'm a district leader now. I was elected. I'm an elected official, believe it or not. But it doesn't pay anything. Um, so I'm at the in the Democratic Party. I'm a district leader, and my race, I um, won over a, an Irish family that was. Uh, the Mickey Spillanes. I don't know if you know that name, but that also was an Irish mob kind of group. Uh, and, uh, they had the democratic party here on the West side for a hundred years. Hmm. And I won that. I won the race. And what year was this? I'm the district leader now. That was in 2017. And is this in Manhattan? Yep. In Hell's Kitchen. Very cool. Yeah, That's so wild. fantastic. Yeah, so you're, yeah. I know. I, well, you know, I got a clipboard. I, I, Obama said, don't get mad, get a clipboard and run for something. I had been approached. I'd been working with elected officials for things in the neighborhood for years. Um, and uh, I just did it. I, I wasn't being paid. I was still an actor. I was working here and there and other jobs when I had to, cause just to pay your rent kind of thing. And they had been asking me, why don't you run for district? I said, you, you're not going to ever leave that other club, blah, blah, blah. And then when Trump won, something shifted in my soul. And I said, you know what? I can do this. And they all backed me, all the elected officials. And you have to have a female and a male district leader. And we won over 18 points over the opponents. Whoa. And these guys had been in power for 100 years, that wow. family. Amazing. Called the McManus Club. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was in the New York Times. It was quite a thing. Um, so, Besides acting, what do you enjoy doing? What do you do for fun? I don't, I don't ever have fun anymore. I really love being an advocate. I love, I mean, the other day we, we had some problem with, um, uh, like a bus shelter was being taken over by a guy that was sort of drunk all the time and he brought all his stuff and he was faking it like his bedroom. And I said, you know, I don't want to hurt the man, but people need to use that bus shelter. Okay. So I worked with the police and we worked with homeless services and the man's not there anymore. So people can use the bus shelter. These are little things, but they're day-to-day things. Um, I am trying to get early voting in New York state. I, w- I want that to happen. I want to have 50% women in the city council, the state legislature, and, and anywhere there is a government, 50% of the members should be women. Otherwise women are not represented. That's my next, I just love that stuff. So as far as quote unquote fun goes, that's what I do. I just, I mean, I'm always, I'm always getting a call from a neighbor, you know, can you help me with this issue with rent or the so-and-so's roommate is trying to throw me out and things like that happen all the time. And I just, uh, I take care of it. So like that's today I was working, uh, trying to help, um, a bookstore find another location. What's the name of the bookstore? I can't talk about it. Oh, okay. Okay. No, it's okay. (laughs) We do a podcast. We basically talk to bookstores all across the country and we interview them about their business and sort of, it's like, there's, it's basically literally a podcast about the business of book selling in the 21st century. So that's why. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of New York stores. Bookstores are sort of coming back. Yeah, they are. Which is a good thing. And my agency that I work for, the mayor's office of of, of media and entertainment, uh, we do something called One Book, One New York, where which is trying to get bookstores and, and small libraries to get into the to get more popular uh, by having New Yorkers read the same book at the same time. Wow, and that's a great they, idea. It's called One Book, One New York, and our agency does it. Uh, they've done it two years in a row now, and the third one's coming up. It's very successful, and um, they, you know, 
libraries have multiple copies of the book, and the and the author that wins does all these talkbacks, and people and they and and they're helping to bring publishing back. You know, I hope that we don't lose newspapers. I hope that we don't lose paper. That's a genius idea. What you guys are doing—that's so yeah. cool. I'm going to look yeah. that up and. It's called One Book, One New York. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, look it up. Julie Menon is the commissioner that came up with this, and it's wild. She's a fantastic commissioner. She's one of the best. Segways to my last question, which is, what was the last book you read? Oh, I think I was starting to read Hamilton, but I had to put it down. Um, and then, what was the other one I loved? Um, oh, uh, you know what it's called? Rat Fucked. That's what I read. Good. Recommend. Thumbs up. Well, it's all about politics. It's all about gerrymandering and how it came to be that these districts are are, are redrawn and they look really weird because they're literally the Republicans figured out a way to go around a house if, if needed to make a district, even if the popular vote for that state or that county was Democrat, you would still win as a Republican because of the way the districts were drawn. In a, br- a brilliant plan. They started in 2008, and look up the book. It's called Rat Fucked. It's a term of a, of a political strategy that is just out of, out of this world. That's why you'll, you'll hear people talk about gerrymandering, but they don't know what it means. It's like salamander, how a salamander swims. Yeah. And some guy named Jerry, who came up with the idea of let's draw the district this way, then we'll get more Republicans on this side, and the more Republicans you have in this district will win this district and the other district. You know, it's, it's stuff, crazy stuff like that. So you'll look at a district and you'll say, why is it going, you know, there's all these little squares, it's, it's, or, it's, or it's a horizontal, it's, it's not like a square, it's like a whole bunch of squares, or it looks like a, a, a flower, like it's circular, or it's, you'll see, if you, if you look it up, it's crazy. Fascinating. Your energy is so infectious. I'm going to go do 50 push-ups after I get off the phone with you. Marisa, this has been this has been a pleasure. Um, thank you for going down memory lane, talking about the Sopranos. And it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to everybody so far that's been involved and the people that are coming up down the pipe. So thank you. Yeah. Um, happy holidays. Say hi to Joe for me. I will. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. 